1: Hello and welcome to today's episode which is titled Deterritorialization and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to fumble that word multiple times in the duration of this episode but I would like to welcome today's guest Shweta Krishnan and I will ask Shweta to introduce herself.
0: Hi, I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Um, my name is Shweta Krishnan and I'm a PhD candidate at George Washington University in the Department of Anthropology. And I specialize in the anthropology of religion and environment. And I'm currently working with the missing tribe in Northeast India and trying to see what their religious practices can tell us about the discursive production of religion.
1: And de-territorialization is something that you have been using in your work recently?
0: Yes, deterritorialization is something that my work sort of took me towards. So yeah, so I I bring, I guess, my interlocutors into conversation with Deleuze in my work.
1: Right. So let me ask you my very first question, which is what the heck is deterritorialization?
0: It's also, it gets more complicated, right? Because deterritorialization has to be always understood along with its sort of complementary force, which is re territorialization. So the way that I understand uh, it is by reading Deleuze and Guattari and also sort of through my own understandings of my interlocutors' experiences as well as their own narratives of their religious practices. So the way I see deterritorialization is it can be understood as the axis along which a uh, formation gets destabilized along which a formation sort of runs off and expands itself pushes itself into new territories and undergoes change and in the process it produces complementary changes in all those other formations that it is contiguous with so deterritorializations always calls attention to contiguity to things that sort of coexist co-evolve co-produce and and almost always changing in complementary to each other, and in dialogue and in conversation with each other. And this dialogue and this conversation isn't necessarily always intended, right? One doesn't intend to deterritorialize or re-territorialize something. It is you run off in a particular direction, and that causes a change, not just internal to that thing which is running off, but also produces changes in everything that particular formation touches and is contiguous with so i think that is my way of understanding de-territorialization and if i might it also calls attention to the idea of desire because this idea of running off um, and according to Deleuze and guattari is lights along lines of desire right so it calls attention to the it calls attention to what one wants to do and so there are certain modes in which one can attempt to think about agency and motivation and intentions, but also along very minor notes. So um, that's also why I think I really like this uh, theory and I like to work with it.
1: Just two quick clarificatory questions, Shrita. Firstly, what do you mean by formations, political, cultural formations, uh, possibly? And what are the geological metaphors and... Forces which influence Deleuze and Guattari's idea of deterritorialization and of course, your understanding of their work.
0: Um, I think when I say formation, I meant loosely, and yes, it can be a political formation. And in the case of my dissertation and my work, I'm looking at religious formations which coexist in in, in in a particular place and changes produced within one uh, bring on changes in the other because I think we, we are sort of taught to look at religions as being uh, bounded formations. Um, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the boundaries between religions and, and because we study, study them a lot by focusing on the differences between them. And then we also study them by thinking of the changes that can be internal to each of them. But I think thinking of them with this idea of deterritorialization then allows me to focus on how changes in one produce changes in the other, because if they are coexistent, then that means they are already sort of influencing and co-producing each other. So I when i said formation i was thinking in terms of my dissertation where it is religious formation but i i think it can be any sort of formation and and that's where like i think you know it leads into your second question and it is grounded very much in the idea of Geography and geology and and especially in the way that Deleuze and Guattari write it, they call attention to the idea of strata and, and, and they're asking us to think of it in terms of geological sedimentations and geological shifts and sort of siltations, right, like where you can... Picture it—you can sort of visually um, imagine deterritorialization by thinking of the process of, say, erosion and land getting carried off. And that—that's land getting carried off. It produces changes not just in the places from which land has been carried off, but it, it also comes into being as something else somewhere else. So automatically, you know, each thing there is is deterritorialized and reterritorialized, and and. It's not just the land, it's also the water that is carrying it off that is also immensely changed in the process so things that are contiguous right they, they change in the process and in a, in a way it is this geological metaphor that I think like really drew me to this theory because I work in the island of Marjali in Assam and um, I was actually taking a walk with one of my interlocutors and he was always very worried that I would be um, focusing much more on the idea of erosion and then and, and focus on it as the press writes about it as this loss causing displacement and this this kind of suffering, right? And, and he kept telling me, you know, uh, there's another way to look at erosion. There's another way to look at erosion. And then he, he says to me, okay, you know, so my village and the village that you see across the river, we have a strange relationship with each other. Every time uh, we have the monsoons, um, there's a flood. And when the river recedes, you never know which side <laughs> it's going to sort of erode more. So sometimes our village is bigger after the river recedes. Since their village is bigger after the river recedes, and that is sort of the relationship with we have with each other. And, and in the in the in the times when our village is bigger, we have more grounds to um, do our agricultural work on. And at other times, they have more grounds to do agricultural work on. And then he he's almost talked about it like the river and the land and the people. they molding around each other, right? that it is not the river and the land and this dance between the river and the land that causes the problems of displacement and all of that. It is because of this idea that human beings should be settled in one place. And that as a tribe, they had been very migrant and and, and had actually followed in a way their desires to move and, and move along with the river where it took them. But certain political changes, you know, brought on by not just, I mean, the major factor there being colonialism and sort of capitalization and the frontierization of Assam and then the changes that it, the massive changes that it produced. But even before then, the politics, um, the Ahom kingdom and all of that, it restricted their movement and their changes. And so he was kind of trying to draw attention to the fact that it is not land getting eroded per se that causes these problems, but it is these other factors and these other processes And then you can see how land and water are then contiguous with other things as well. So it's always a push and a shove and, and the change in one producing changes in the other and how people, their agencies, their desires always take flight from the formations to become new things as and how things allow them to go. So, yeah, in a, in a way, I think I think the geological metaphor, like uh, him calling attention to it in terms of land itself and, and so did other people. So I think the geological metaphor really did make me think about trying to turn land into theory.
1: That was such a beautiful way to describe your motivations, Shweta. So my next question is, how do we use de-territorialization?
0: I think in recent times, especially with like the directions in which... Climate change is pushing us to to be more perceptive of ecological connections and our entanglements with the environment. I think in a certain sense, though my dissertation focuses so much on religion and religious formation, and it's easy to go from religion to politics in a place like India, not just because of like what is... Obviously, the more evident sort of religious nationalisms, not just because of that, but because of the uh, very minor shifts, two major tectonic shifts uh, in terms of secularization and stuff, which has actually changed what it means to be religious. So religion is very much a political formation. So it's easy to connect those two. And then I I always feel like ecology and religion, the connection becomes much more about the concepts of religion. And oh, okay, these religions, they point to these connections between humans and environment. So we can go from religion to environment by following the the ways in which religion itself uh, suggests humans are connected. To non-humans or to land or, or to stuff like that so in which case then religion acts as a theory and the environment seems to be a substrate for the theory but i think when i was with my interlocutors i did not feel that religion functioned on the level of a theory it wasn't quite dictating something in that sense to them and of course it is a discursive production of values and of practices and of the self but it is imminent in sort of the everyday interactions with the environment so the environment isn't simply a substrate for religion to act upon and it is not like okay religion is high is the supra structure <laughs> and then you have material world, the environment, right? Where then like the religion connects to environment and I I didn't I didn't find that kind of material and ideological separation. People made sense of what they was coming across in the Oral stories that they would heard from elders in their tribe, or in the in fact, the religious revival that I am studying, it's both a revival in terms of um, revitalizing pre-existing values and and ethical practices, but it is also a reinvention. Um, some of these practices have been lost over time, or they're they around, but people don't quite know if they're following it in the right ways, or if it if it feels relevant to the to the younger people of their communities. So. They are reinventing it and reformulating it so that it feels relevant and meaningful in today's times. So, but I, I, I never found that there were internal meanings to these things, and people understood the meaning and then, therefore, connected to the environment in certain ways it would emerge from the ways they interacted with, say, uh, land when they were farming, or with cows that they were raising, or with pigs that they were raising. And it is in 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 those and in, interactions in which, um, you know, something like the pig or the cow has its own agency. And and something like land or river seems to have its own agency, especially in the way in which he talked about it. So it is in moments like that, that certain, both the precarity as well as the possibilities of human existence emerge. And and then they would talk to me about it. So I I think territorialization for me allows me to play with those kinds of contiguous contiguous relationships as well maybe one doesn't even have to simply use it as deterritorialization maybe deterritorialization is in itself inherent always going to be deterritorialized because it's going to us right to run off uh, in these directions and think with the environment rather than think about it as something we can make theories about. So uh, yeah, I think that's the connection that I see.
1: I know that we will lay this out in much more detail in the show notes, but very briefly, uh, could you tell us who your interlocutors are? Right?
0: As I mentioned, I, I did my anthropological field research in majuli And I work with the I work with missing tribe, that is M I S I N G, and uh, they live across Assam. But I focused very much on uh, fourteen villages in the island of Majuli. And Majuli is a four hundred and eighty square kilometer island, so it's quite big and there are uh, several missing villages over a hundred more than that even missing villages and i focused on 14 of them where this religious revival has picked up momentum so there's a lot of movement in there already the water moves along with the more water people move along with people (laughs) practices move religions move of course, they get interrupted by uh, forces of imperialism, pre-colonial imperialisms, colonial transformations of the Brahmaputra Valley, as well as of the surrounding uh, regions, tribal tracts being put in, various restrictions coming in, the conversion of um, Assam into tea plantations and oil fields. And, and so there are lots of uh, processes that sort of interrupt the um, these practices and 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 hence it's a revival today where where people are trying to revitalize things that may have changed in directions that they didn't want it to go. When I think of it in terms of deterritorialization, I also think of how today there are um, explicit um, desires to formulate the religion in a way where there is some. Degree of uh, uniformity across the geographies in which this religion is currently being followed, um, so that it, it feels like a religion, right? Because that is one of the ways in which I guess religions derive their legitimacy: is that there's some some degree of conformity or some degree of uniformity sort of expected, so that it feels like a community lives by certain rules, and so they are trying harder than ever before to um, impose that sort of uniformity and, con- and, and, you know, impose certain degrees of conformity onto the religious practices. However, um, in the ways in which people interpret it, in the ways in which people understand that in and through of their own interactions, as I was saying it before, regardless of how people try to um, standardize the understandings, these understandings take different directions and keep running off.
1: Okay. Last question for the day. How will de-territorialization save the world?
0: I think what was really eye-opening for me was um, thinking with my interlocutors and then bringing them into conversation with these understandings of de-territorialization, I think really allowed me to look at religious discourses differently. And especially in a time, I think, where so many so many things happening in India and across the world derive their authority from claiming that they can fix the meaning and interpretation of religion. I think deterritorializations points to an Inherent incapacity for something as capacious as religion to be fixed at all. It doesn't just point us towards those moments or those those aspects of religion where somebody like a founder figure or or some sort of a revolutionary figure deliberately reinterprets something differently in order to produce change, right? But it actually points us towards moments where changes produce themselves because interpretations vary. And those interpretations push people in different directions, regardless of whether they intended to do things differently or not, difference exists. And so I think that is what I, I, I would say is, is, is really the value of looking at something through the lens of deterritorialization. It really pushes you to think of how difference is just imminent in everything.
1: And that is how deterritorialization will save the world. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for talking to us Shuda.
0: and thank you for listening to High Theory
1: if you like our podcast please review and subscribe on Spotify iTunes, Patreon or wherever you get your
0: podcast fix Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence, Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio,
1: you can also find us at hightheory.net,
0: we hope You have a highly theoretical day.